to No Filter. My name is Patty. I'm Rowan. And we are here with the fabulous Tracy Mills. <laughs> the creator of Visitor on Earth clothing brand. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Tracy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Warm up. Y'all my people. You know, I'm a, I gotta put on the front. Yeah. Yep. Um, tell us. So let's go into the brand Visitor on Earth. Okay. Let us. Uh, well, let's start with where are you from? Because this is usually what we ask everybody yeah. to get a background of of them and where their upbringing up? and all of that. Okay. Born and raised in LA, real West Side. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up um, off of Pico and uh, went to Fairfax High School. If you know anything about LA, you know Fairfax. And Is that like an art? Isn't it like an art-driven high school? No. No? I thought it... Fairfax is it, it's very eclectic as far as like ethnicities. Like every culture goes there, which mm-hmm. was dope about that's Fairfax. Dope. That's how our high school was too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's dope about Fairfax. And we're on Melrose, so you know the fashion and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mainly known for basketball and football. It's like a super sports school. Did you play sports? Yeah, I played basketball. Into college or college. did you do college? I went to college and then lost my scholarship. Why? Why? And <laughs> got into a fight. Really? Yeah. Before, how about this? Before my career started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so got, you got a scholarship for ball? For basketball. Lost okay. my scholarship, got into a fight, got locked up for the fight, mm. and stripped me. And it kind of like killed my spirit. Mm-hmm. So that imagine. was like the downfall of me as a hooper. But that's still, that's still my number one passion in life. Though. Basketball? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'll Big take time. you one-on-one. I will beat the drum. <laughs> I will not. I'll watch. <laughs> I'm pretend like I can participate. Um, <laughs> so this was, you were what, 18? Yes, 18. 18 years old. Yeah, 18 years old. And yeah. what college was it for? University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you had gone out to Virginia mm-hmm. and then... That went down. What was that like? Like being away from home and being there and then being arrested? And it's escaping. My um, upbringing was the best thing on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. It was getting away from my circumstances. So it was good. But it crashed quickly. Yeah. So yeah. how did you come back from that? Like what was... From that? From like losing your scholarship. Yeah. You said like it really like hurt you and all that stuff. Like how do you bounce back? It was tough because it, that was like the... Um, that was like the tipping point to where like you feel like nothing will go right in your life. For you sure. know what I mean? So, you know, me, I grew up very abused as a child. So I grew up very angry. So that was kind of like the situation I had with basketball. That was like the gift and the curse for me. I was so nice in hoop because my brother played ball. My dad was, all he pumped was basketball. All I watched was hoop. All I practiced was hoop. I lived for it, but when you grow up abused and you have these and you have this person abusing you that you're afraid of, you have all this misplaced anger that you can't let out. And the place I let it out the most was on the basketball court. Right. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, once you get that scholarship and then you get there and then you lose that, it's almost like, damn, what's gonna go right for me? For you know sure. what I mean? And <clears throat> it was tough. It was, it took a it took a long time for me to rebuild myself. Not even rebuild I shouldn't even say rebuild, that's the wrong word, because I had to reprogram myself to 
find myself. Because even in the midst of being a good basketball player, I was still lost right. as a soul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't love myself. I didn't. I looked in the mirror, didn't like myself. My brother was like tall, light-skinned, hazel eyes. Girls loved him. Where so. he at? <laughs> Damn. Better <laughs> <laughs> be careful. Be serious. Shit. <laughs> um, Hold on, that's him hitting me right now. <laughs> uh, He's watching live. He heard you. Uh, yeah, send me that, T-Man. Um, but, yeah, you know, growing up with that as, like, your big brother, and that's, like, the standard, and everybody knowing, because he's so popular, everybody knowing that's your big brother, not only do you have that pressure of living up to that, mm-hmm. then you have this father who's, like, a dictator, and I'm, like, a little country, and... I have to live up to Chris's shoes. My brother's name is Chris Mills, by the way. So living up to Chris's standards and then being beat and then having no self-esteem, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It was just... A lot. It was a lot. So, again, you know, fast forward, trying to reprogram myself to love myself, like who I saw in the mirror, that was tough. Mm-hmm. And there was no one to help me. Like, there was no OG around saying, like, yo, T. Mills... Do this, or T is gonna be fine, or is that my phone blowing up? Okay, do not disturb. Oh shit! I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry y'all. That's live. He's though. too popular, you guys. Nah. <laughs> um, so that's my baby mama. I don't have, I don't have any so kids. Ridiculous. We're gonna um, get into that. Too. Yeah, we'll get into that. Don't worry. So, um, so you know, um, when you're in that situation, it's like hell. You know, you, you feel like, like me, I used to question God. Like, there can't be a God, da-da-da. I hate God. And, and you grew up in the church or, no. or religious or anything at all? I grew up with a spiritual beating. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like trying to beat the devil out of me type of... So that, was, that was religious. Mm-hmm. Religious ass whooping. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, I can curse. Mm-hmm. Okay. No filter. You okay. can say whatever you want. Um, but... So, also a thing I skipped is like, so I was born in LA, right? Mm-hmm. But my mother, my mother's from Chicago and my father's from Arkansas. So, you have, my mother was very militant, Black Panther, and father was born in 1939 in Little Rock, Arkansas. Wow. So, the two different stories I would hear wow. of how my mother thought and then how my father thought. So, my father. And again, I don't want this to be a bash my father thing because no. I love my father. Um, but you have to think, being born in 1939 in Arkansas, he would tell me stories of how his friends were being hung. You know, he had to drink from a fountain that said colored only, whites only type of thing. His mother worked in a house for a white woman and he could not go in a white person's house, so she had to feed him through the back porch. Um, his grandmother was a slave. So, it's, you know, it's just that time so when he comes to LA he has this mentality and he used to always say this thing in the house like you know honky don't bring no honky in the house so I grew up on that hearing all of hearing that. that but mm-hmm. before I would hear that I was in Chicago because my mother and father separated when I was one and I moved to Chicago with my mother so from one to ten I was in Chicago I knew nothing of that type of thought process all I knew was my mother and she would date abusive men and all I knew was that, like, you know, she, she liked men that would beat her. And then me, I was always alone. So I was always the kid alone, drawing by myself, talking to myself, playing with my, like, I had no friends. Mm-hmm. Because we would, I was just always isolated. Then going to, to 
And your brother wasn't around at this point? No. So when, when they separated, my brother stayed with my with father. Okay. Right. But I had no knowledge of my father or my brother. Oh. So one day, I, I, one day my mom was like, yo, your dad and your brother's on the phone. I'm like, my dad and my brother. Wow. I had no knowledge What's of that. that. Right. So I get on the phone and they're like, yeah, you're going to come to L.A. And I'm just thinking like, L.A.? Like, for real? Boom. But not knowing that my mother was sending me away. Because she had me at the age of 20 and she wanted to live her life. So she was sending me off to this man with no thought process of me coming back to her. But not telling me that. Oh, you just mm-hmm. going to L.A. for the summer. So when I get to L.A. and I see all this, my brother's already a star. and The abuse started like right away. You know what I mean? My father's very angry. So every time I did anything wrong that a child would do, I would get destroyed. So I used to hate my mother on top of not liking God. I'm like, yo, how my mother going to send me to this dude that's mm-hmm. beating the drawers mm-hmm. off? And did your brother experience that same? No. I was the only one. I have three older brothers. So it's six boys. I'm wow. in the middle. I have two younger brothers. I'm in the middle. And then I have three older brothers. So when I used to talk to them like later on, they'd be like, yo, you was the only one that got it like that. Why do you think that? I think I reminded my father of himself. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of the same characters. Like we're very like we we we're we're pretty much self taught. You know what I mean? And we have this spark in us. Like we're very passionate. We don't take no bullshit. And I think he saw me. He saw himself in me so much that and you know, when you don't like yourself, mm-hmm. you attack yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he would attack me. And I'm going to give y'all one example of what an ass woman was like on my father. So I remember one day I got in trouble in junior high school and I got expelled for the sport. I think it was for a fight. And I remember that last block to the house was like an hour long walk. <laughs> like every like 10 minutes I'd take a step. Because <laughs> I knew what was so going to happen. But when I got home, I'll never forget this ass woman. When I got home, my dad was like, boy, get in the bedroom. Take all your clothes off and get under the cover. So this is probably like 3 in the afternoon. So I'm just like, fuck, he's about to kill me. So I go in there, I get naked. I'm under the covers. 4 o'clock go around. 5 o'clock. 6 o'clock. So you got to think the mental alone yeah, sure. is just killing. Anticipating it. Just like waiting for that door to bust open. 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock. I'm like, damn, he forgot. Because my dad would drink, smoke, he has boys. I can hear all that going on. He laughing. I'm like, damn, he forgot. So I go to sleep about 10 o'clock. Boom! He come in and he would use an extension cord. Now, y'all know what an extension cord mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. So he, tie- he, he actually got me out of bed, tied my arms so I couldn't block, and had me on my stomach and would and beat me with an extension cord till I was bleeding all over my back like a slave. But that's the mentality he knows. So that was the type of ass whoopings I would get as mm-hmm. a kid. Like he would beat me like that bad to a point where like I even ran away, checked myself out of high school, went to a foster home on my own, mm-hmm. just checked out of Fairfax. Was there ever a time when you were like older that you felt that you would like fight back? Because you're stronger now, you're older, you're in high school, yeah, like yeah. you're a young of, man. At the age of 17, when I was in high school, my father would never let me sleep in the house. He made me sleep outside in our apartment building. And one day I was standing at the 
So we lived in a one bedroom. So I like would come from around that corner, mm-hmm. and my dad would sleep on the couch. And I had a knife, and I was just gonna stab him to death. I was just gonna kill him. It was just, I was just, there was no going back. I was tearing him up. And I had this knife, and, and something that day, I'll never forget, it was just an energy that just came over me. And, and I was just like, boom, I put the knife down, and, I, and all the fear just went away like that. Mm-hmm. And that day, he, um, he woke up, and, and we got into it over something, because he'd find any reason to get mad at me. And he said something to me. I was like, man, fuck you, nigga. And, I, and he looked at me, he's like, what? I said, man, fuck you. You ain't going to do shit. I'll fuck you up. And he looked at me like, oh, he's mm-hmm. serious. Get out of my house. And that was the last day. I didn't stay there no more. And that was the last day I ever feared that man. It was just something came over me. And that was the beginning stage of me reprogramming mm-hmm. myself. Now, mind you, I went to college, and I'm still full of anger because I'm right. reprogramming myself, so it don't happen overnight. Right. But that was the beginning stage. Once I took that power back, then it was like me starting to work on myself. Mm-hmm. And where do you guys stand now? That's my dude. Yeah. I love my pops. Now, the you know when you began reprogramming yourself, and then you went to college, you got kicked out, mm-hmm. you came back. What was that journey like? Did you speak to your father right away when he came back? Did you still were you still not yeah. living at home? The funny thing is, once I took my power back, I here's the thing: my father was so loved by everybody because my dad has a good spirit. He really is a good soul. He's smart. He's witty. He's funny. He can cook. So all so again, my brother being who he is, and at this time, my brother's in the NBA. So all his friends were these big stars, athletes, and they loved coming to my dad's house for my dad's cooking. So everybody fucked with my pops. So when I left and came back, I loved my dad because there was no more fear. So it was just like, yo, whatever you say don't phase me, nigga. Mm-hmm. But I love who you are. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I know you're funny. I know you can cook. And my dad was that type of person where <clears throat> you just loved him because he, he was just cool. Mm-hmm. And for me... The funny thing is, I never asked my father why you did that. Why did you beat me? What was what were you so? I never did. All I cared about was releasing this weight off of me. Mm-hmm. Because if I didn't, I would never amount to anything. Yeah, because I don't think the answer would matter. You know, like what? No, There's nothing I, that you could say that's really gonna justify it. So you have to like let it go on your own. Yeah, but I I feel like that's the norm. Is to wonder why. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know of course, I mean? yeah. Of course. But for some reason, I never cared to know. Mm-hmm. I just assumed why already. It seems like you just like learned early on that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah, sure. 100%. That was just kind of something that you accepted. Right. <clears throat> and then you know, moving forward, you know, a few years later, once I started to, so you have to think, right? When you're when you're in high school, that's your age where you start to like grow nuts as a man you know what I mean like you get confident you get your swag you know what I mean confident to talk to women all that shit I had none of that so I'm so far behind like I'm I'm, you still don't I'm just kidding (laughs) I'm still learning don't don't get it twisted I'm still learning I'm still learning you know because if that's the case I'd be living not flesh so look um <laughs> I don't know where that was I, going. I cut it off. I cut it Next. off. Because it was about to go somewhere. 
you know how I witty I am with you. Um, <laughs> I love her. Um, so, um, sorry, lost my train of thought. So I'm far behind in that lane because you know everybody walks different paths in life. Mm-hmm. For sure. So to me, it has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with your journey in life. So for me, when it came to relationships with women and swag and blah blah blah, I was not swag. I'll take that back. But when it comes to women and just having dialogue with opposite sex, I was behind in confidence, you know, self-worth. So in my 20s, in my early 20s, I'm like 16 when it came to that. Like talking to girls, mm-hmm. you're having the confidence, looking in the mirror and saying, oh, I'm attractive. Whatever, you know, you're supposed to feel about yourself to build yourself up to be who you become in life, I was so far behind in that lane. And it and, and when I finally dialed in to that, I was a monster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it was like I had so much making up to do. Because mm-hmm. I felt yeah. like I felt like I had to make up for it. Mm-hmm. So you just went and and you even got no baby bombs? Uh, Are you sure? Are you sure about that? I swear, I I might have, I might have three or four Brazilian babies (laughs) in Brazil. I always say that. Brazilians? I I did. I mean, (laughs) I started out liking, I started out liking, obviously my sisters. I mean, I'm never gonna deny my, I'd be denying my mother, but I started out liking. I always had like types, Mm -hmm. like you know, I was just, I was like United Nations. So (laughs) I started out liking. You know, my sisters, obviously, because I love my mother and, you know, all the black figures I grew up loving. So I loved my black women first. And then it went into Spanish women. Hey. And then from Spanish, <laughs> it went into, like, Brazilians. Mm-hmm. And then from Brazilians, it kind of went into, like, black and Asian. Mm-hmm. Malaysian. Right. They're pretty yeah. black. And, and then from there, it kind of went into, like, then I started going all over the map, like, Russians, but like certain type of Russian women, mm-hmm. and then you know because we're fast forwarding into my career of fashion, right. I started seeing these all, and I started traveling more. But that so what's was your type of, now? Now it's just the soul of a person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then I used to have a particular a look, physical type. Yeah, like I remember the first girl I really, really loved. No, it was, no, it's the second. First one was a hoop girl. She played basketball, so I love that mm-hmm. about her. She was mixed. She was black and white mixed, but she could play ball, and I love. She had curly hair, like hair like that. She was dope. And then I met this. Then I then Lauren Hill came out, and I was so in love with Lauren Hill that this girl I went to high school with, I ended up bumping to her like years later, and she looked exact. I'm talking like if Lauren was sitting here, she was sitting here. You would think they was identical twins, mm-hmm. and I dated her strictly off that. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Not that good. (laughs) We used to have deep conversations. Mm -hmm. um, And this is when I moved to New York. You know what I mean? So I had moved to New York at a point in my life Mm -hmm. for a couple years. And she lived in New York. And we started dating. And she taught me a couple things because I was behind. So she taught me how to, like, use my tongue the right way. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Shout out to her. Shout out. (laughs) <laughs> she might be married, so I ain't gonna say her name. No, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she taught me how to use my tongue. But we used to have deep conversations because in that moment in time, I was super like black power, mm-hmm. and she was as well. She mm-hmm. had dreads, everything. So, how many times have you been in love? Three. Three. Like real love, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Are you currently dating? Uh, yeah, myself. <laughs> In my career. It's a good answer. All right, let's get into that. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's not my first time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you come back. Mm-hmm. You know, after the whole college thing, mm-hmm. then what? Like, what happened? Where? What was your next yeah. move? Ooh. When I first life. got back, I was odd job. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm gonna tell y'all this. Yeah, an exclusive. No filter exclusive. This is super exclusive. <laughs> I advise you do not have water in your mouth. Okay. Wait, hold on. Yeah, I, I advise you don't. Okay, okay, I'm ready. So when I came back. I was hustling, like not hustling like street hustling, but um, I was doing an odd job that I had to survive, and I was not going to stay with my father. Mm-hmm. So I was a strip. No, I was kidding. So, <laughs> um, so magic I used to, Mike, magic Tracy, right. magic Mills, magic, magic Mills, <laughs> magic Mills. No. We got a stripper pole in the back. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, we do got a stripper pole. I believe you. That return for me. This information I'm about to give up. Oh man. This girl, listen, I'm telling you, I've never told nobody this one. Spit no. it out. So that's no pressure never. Right? We gotta ease into um, it. I definitely gotta ease into it. Um, so I used to be in the paper back then, you know, you you would look for jobs in the newspaper for the help on it, whatever. So I would do, you know, odd jobs. And then there was this, I was so desperate for work because I had to pay rent that I was a psychic for a week. No, you weren't. I swear to God, I took an odd job as a psychic. What? How does how that do, work yeah. if you're not a psychic? It's because they teach you the bullshit. They teach no. you how to, they, ugh, I couldn't believe it. It was like, I, it was like I got the job the next day. I needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, oh I, I like, so I went in for the interview and they was just like, yeah, so this is all you have to do. They didn't even, they wasn't like, do you have experience? They, nothing. They was like, look, this is what you do. You get people on the phone, you ask them questions about themselves, let them tell on themselves and feed it back to them. And I was a psychic for like a good week. Do you feel that training has helped you in a in a sense, just in oh, terms of, of just being your poor bag when I was, yeah. Yeah. The mind games of women right. and all that. And I went, and I studied psychology in college. That was my major, was psychology. Mm-hmm. So you went back to school at one point. No, I'm just saying like, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, I went to junior college. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, no, yes, I did. Yeah, I ended up going to junior college in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you studied psychology. Right. You yeah. just said that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so okay, you were a psychic for a week. Oh, boy, psychic. Can you believe that? Well, I was that like, is hilarious. That I was a psychic. I think I am sometimes. I can tell you something about you that you don't think I know about you. What? Let's do it. <laughs> don't get no, lost I in I them, Tracy. I mean, it's so, it's, it's so many things coming at me. Don't get lost in them. There's so many things coming at me, but I don't want to tell it. Oh, right. come on. Ah, this is not... that bullshit. <laughs> I don't want to tell it. You know, what I mean? just, you know, I don't want people to really know how you truly feel about certain things. Okay. Okay. So you came you know, back. All right. So after being a psychic, came back where you were psychic, doing odd jobs, going back to school, and then um, yeah, so I started doing odd jobs, and then I, I bumped into somebody that worked at BET, a friend of mine, 
And that was like my real first like gig. So I used to work at BET and I would help book talent for their shows on BET. And because I knew a lot of celebrities again because of my brother. So they used me to like help book artists and this and that. And I remember like going to New York, we did, they did a thing at the Apollo and this is when I first met Jay Z and this is when he first started like he had just did like Ain't No Nigga with Foxy Brown mm -hmm. yeah, so and then like Beanie Man was on the show it was like all these it was like this big conglomerate of artists and I was like in charge of Beanie Man I had to sit with Beanie Man his dressing room catered to him but I got to meet a lot of artists and then that's what made me move to New York because I like fell in love with New York City mm -hmm. so and how long did you live out there for? two years mm -hmm. Brooklyn then, Flatbush I lived in Brooklyn too I lived in Flatbush and I lived in Bed Stuy. I actually stayed a block away from where Biggie grew up. Oh, in nice. Bed Stuy, yeah. Yeah. So, what did New York offer you? What career wise or whatever, you know, what? New York, New York what? taught me, um, I gained a lot of knowledge in New York. I feel like when you're in New York City, especially, especially from being out here. Well, it's very being different. from LA is very different. And the funny thing is, me, before I got to New York, every artist, every TV show, everything that I embodied that program me was all East Coast stuff. Like, I was so in love with East Coast more than West Coast. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because I was from the Midwest and it's, you know, Chicago's kind of mm -hmm. like New York in a way, more than LA. Right. But I loved everything about New York City. Mm -hmm. All my favorite rappers, artists was New York City. I didn't like nothing West Coast. Except yeah. for Pac. Pac is from New York. Originally? Yeah, Pac is from... But he reps like Cali, though. No, he reps Cali. He did later on, but you know where Pac is from New York City. I didn't know and that. And he'll tell you that. He, he, he'll tell you he's from New York City. Mm -hmm. He just loved L.A. because L.A. embraced him. And, you know, he bounced around as a kid after they left New York. Like, he moved to Maryland. That's so where he met Jada Pinkett. Then he moved to Oakland. Mm -hmm. And then Oakland is kind of where he learned the game. Because I, he was so... He moved around so much that he never had a stable foundation. Right. And the West Coast embraced him the mm -hmm. most. So it was easy, so it was easy for him to be like West Side. You know yeah, what I mean? But, but yeah, so when I went to New York, I was... Again, I'm trying to find myself. Mm -hmm. I was super New York. So like, I came back to L.A. with How the New York slang. How I came back talking like I was from New York. Tim's on walking. Just super neat. My friends like, nigga, who is you? Nigga, you from LA, nigga. The New city, who this? Yeah, I was like, yo, Sun Dunn, K Word, all that. It was like, nigga, who the fuck is this nigga? Do you feel like New York sparked your fashion interests? When did that happen? The fashion, the fashion, the fashion thing started early, like elementary. Mm -hmm. Actually, before then, it started in Chicago. So the first, the first person I, the first person I ever idolized was Bruce Lee as a kid. But the second person that I idolized was Michael Jackson. So growing up, like I remember as a kid watching Motown Twenty Five when he first did the Moonwalk, and I was just mesmerized. So for me, that's when fashion started. Like I wanted the glitter socks. I had, to, I had to have the penny loafers. I wanted to flood like Michael. So that was when my swag started to come about mm -hmm. and then when you fast forward and then you know again I come to LA and the abuse the only thing that made me somewhat love myself was trying to dress fresh that made me feel like oh I'm somewhat attractive mm -hmm. so fashion was like one of the things that saved me as a young kid is just feeling something good about myself right so it was always there I never wanted to be a designer though did your 
you know, your swag, where did you find it? Was that when the thrifting started or, like, that interest of... What do you, what do you mean? Well, you're really big into like vintage and thrifting Shopping, yeah, yeah. and all of that. So, yeah. was that something that was always that you nah. were always into, or? Nah, I wasn't educated on thrift shopping. Um, that came later on, like after I got into fashion mm-hmm. and started to learn the back end of it. But before I got in, before I got in um, with Von Dutch, which is what, which is where I started in fashion, it was just me just trying to be fresh in general. Because, again, my brother's in the NBA, so it's like he's fresh. I'm looking at him. All his friends is fresh. Mm-hmm. And then you in high school, you have to be fresh in high right. school. Right. So much pressure in high school. Too much pressure. Mm-hmm. So, and so he, sad, I can't be actually. in high school bummy with my brother playing in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always wanted to be fresh. But, but, no, but um, you know, um, after the BET thing, I left BET and... I had a friend of mine who I call my cousin name is Breon, and he um, he had on these Von Dutch pants. I didn't know what Von Dutch was, but he, they used to sell a patch separate from the denim. Mm-hmm. And Von Dutch is this big bike brand. It's all based off bike stuff, like biker stuff. And it had this patch on the back that you could have sewn on in the store, and it said Von Dutch. It was this dope patch, and he had them on with it. And I was like, damn, them jeans is hard. What are those? He's like, oh, this is. Von Dutch, it's so Melrose, oh, well, you should go there, shit is hard. He said, nobody knows about it. So I went there, and I just fell in love with it. I used to spend all my little bit of money I had on it. And at that time, I had so many relationships with celebrities, so when they would come to town, I was like the person, they'd be like, yo, T. Mills, what's, what's fresh in L.A.? So I would bring them there, not thinking anything, just hooking my friends mm-hmm. up. And my friends at that time were, I mean, it's still today, but at that time, being young, they were so eclectic, like, Hillary Duff and Lindsay Lohan was my homegirl. So then over here you got Jay-Z and Beyonce and Puff and Usher. And it's like, I would bring them to the store. It's mixed. So I would bring them to the store. And the owner, not the owner, but the the head designer had just moved to America from France. And he was like, who is this kid with all these celebrities? Like, bring him to me. So next time I went in, all the kids knew me there. And they was like, yo, the designer wants to meet you. And I was like, what? Oh. Hella, all right. And then, you know, I went upstairs to his office and he was like, man, look, I want to offer you a job. I want you to be like my celebrity branding person. Like, you know, you just handle celebrity marketing. I want you to help me get this brand out there. You were like the celebrity center of Scientology. Literally. Literally. Uh, For Von Dutch. I was waiting for the moment to throw that out there. (laughs) Y'all got me. Not Scientology. You were the celebrity center. I was celebrity, but I was so you stupid as shit. You got me fucked. I was not working for the devil. (laughs) No, that's so cool though. How that like just love, like doing something out of love because you fucked with the brand and you knew all these people and what it turned into. Yeah, because I I didn't want to. I never like. I wasn't like taking them there because they was paying me. It was just like you said. It was strictly love. It was just like I liked that people. For me, it was just a beautiful thing to have people want something from me or wanted information from me. I felt validated as a person. Invaluable, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I felt, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was worth something. Mm-hmm. So, to me, table. yeah, so to me, that was like payment within itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then that turned into a job. So, how was that career, like your career with Von Dutch? How long did that last and what that was, opportunities did that bring? That was 2002, and I did that for two years. 
And um, man, we blew that brand up. That brand mm-hmm. did like two hundred million in like that two years. Wow. Like we killed the game. I first put a trucker hat on Ashton Kutcher when Punk was fresh, mm-hmm. and that hat, everybody saw that hat on him, and it went through the roof. So we ended up selling that hat for a hundred dollars. It cost like three fifty to make. Wow. Games. You hear and, that? Wow, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. So from there, the brand just too. I started putting it on everybody. But the the cool thing about that brand, and you know, like when I look back, the things that I did at that age, and and what I did with that brand, like Jay Z had Rockaware, mm-hmm. and Rockaware was cracking, and he had the tour, um, Hard Knock Life tour. So it was him, DMX, Method Man, Red Man. Um, who else was on that tour? It was a, it was just like one of the best rap tours, and they were all in their prime. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I think Ja Rule was on that tour at the time, so it was like a killer tour. And Jay Z wore Von Dutch it's the whole set his own brand. Him and Dame Dash, wow. I remember him and Dame Dash having a fight over that because Dame was like, "How the fuck are you gonna be wearing these niggas? Right. Shit, we got our own brand, fool." You know what I mean? But Jay loved the brands, but to me. If I look back at what I've done in the fashion game, that's like a monumental moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Somebody Somebody of his caliber with his brand that's hot. It ain't going down. It's on fire. But he still wore that brand. And that was my relationship. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so, you know, I did that for two years. And the owner who owned the brand didn't want to pay. So it comes to a point where Christian Odegier, who was the designer, Mm -hmm. wanted a piece of the company. And the owner didn't want to give him a piece. And me, I wanted more money. Mm-hmm, right. But, you know, he looked at Christian like, I don't know how he looked at Christian, but he didn't give Christian what he wanted. And he looked at me. I know how he looked at me. Like, this young kid. You yeah, you know people. You, you ain't getting more paper. You just a young kid. Yeah, you, you you know, you putting it on slab, blah, blah, blah. So Christian left, and I left with Christian. So for like six months, I didn't have any work. But six months later, Christian hit me up, and he was like, yo, he used to say this thing called V. And in France, it means like fast and on point, just like getting stuff done fast. He's like, hey, Vif, um, I'm starting this new brand. It's called Ed Hardy. And I want you to do the same thing for me with Ed Hardy. And you put it on everybody. We make a lot of money. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, cool. I got a job again. Right. You know, in fashion with mm-hmm. him. Because he was like the best and person. he had a good relationship with him. Amazing relationship. He was like my savior. I always called him my guardian angel. Aww. Because he like saved my life. Because I didn't know what I was doing with myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we did Ed. We I left six months. He did. He offered the job. Did Ed Hardy. Then I did Ed Hardy with him from two thousand five, four five to like two thousand ten. Wow. And when I say we murdered that game, like Ed Hardy was mm-hmm. everywhere. Was. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, I, I I did my thing. I don't like to For talk the about culture. I don't like to praise myself. <laughs> I'm not that type of soul. Well, myself. I mean, you but, know the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with sharing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I did I did great with it. deserves credit. I did great with it, you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, I'm sure one day when I'm, a lot, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to still be on Earth and I have a family and grandkids, I can tell them that story that maybe I'll really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, who knows what I'll end up doing in life, maybe something will come out about it. You know what I mean? But I, I, you know, if I, if I really dial in, I can tell you I did some historical stuff, mm-hmm. but not even knowing it. Right. Bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're not looking at it that way at it when that you're way. in it. You're right. Like, I'm going like, to do like, this bad. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, I just did some, some yeah. dope shit. Yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite things I ever did was, I remember Christian had turned 50 and 
he wanted Michael Jackson to come to his birthday party. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, at this time, Michael Jackson hadn't been seen in years. He didn't come out for years in public. No interviews, nothing. And I was like, Michael Jackson. Now, I didn't got him everybody he's ever had. Like, I've never mm-hmm. let him down. Even if I didn't know them, I found a way to get that person right. to him. Blah, blah, blah. So he's like, Michael Jackson. I'm like, Michael Jackson. I don't fucking like to get Michael. I don't even know it. Michael Jackson. Like that's like trying like, to find. That's like they're saying, bring, "Can you bring Gandhi to the house?" And like, <laughs> Michael uh, Jackson. Let me see what I can do. Right. You know what I mean, Gandhi. So it's like, so he was like Michael Jackson. I'm like, so of course I'm like, yeah, all right, Viv, I got you. Yeah, no problem. So I'm thinking like, fuck. So I'm just putting that frequency out there, and lo and behold, Akon, who's a, who's a good friend of mine, he he um, it's just funny how the universe works. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So Akon wanted to do a photo shoot for something. He wanted a crib, like a certain look of a crib in L.A. to look kind of like Miami. And mm-hmm. Christian's house, looked, his backyard looked like it was in Miami. It mm-hmm. didn't look nothing like L.A. So I was like, yo. And Akon's lawyer was Michael Jackson's lawyer. Jeez. And Akon, and Akon knew Michael. So I'm like, I'm like, yo, look, bro. I just need you to hook me up with Peter Lopez. Please, I'm trying to get Michael Jackson to Christian's birthday. If you can just give me that meeting, I'll let you shoot at Christian's house for free. You ain't got to pay for it, nothing, blah, blah, blah. He was like, bet. So he shot there. He hooked me up with Peter Lopez. Peter, we, so me and I, I set up a meeting with me and Christian and Peter Lopez. And we sat and we talked with him for like a week straight, just trying to figure it out. And he was like, man, Michael is kind of down, you know. He might be down. I'm sitting here like, for real? I'm, I'm just like, yo, I'm just happy I'm setting up the meeting to like, right. look, I'm on it, thinking it ain't going to work. And he's like, yeah, Michael might be down, da-da-da, you know, but you know, you're going to have to pay. And I know Christian, Christian is paying. He don't care what it is. So fast forward, we ended up coming up with a deal, and Michael agreed. So I'm like, damn. <laughs> but still, he's not until you see the man because right, he's right, like right. he's like a mistress. Like you ain't seen Michael. And this Michael Jack Michael Jackson is like he's like Jesus Christ in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No disrespect, but it's no, like yeah, he's, he's, he's that type of he's that type of spirit and, sure. and energy. So I remember it was his birthday party and Christians telling the world, "I got Michael Jackson coming through." <laughs> so much press. It's like everybody's trying to get in, uh-huh. and it was at the Design Center on Wilshire mm-hmm. in uh, Fairfax. So I remember just being at the party. Party was probably at Britney Spears there and her height of her career. We had so many celebrities. Snoop, I had Snoop perform. So I had other perform. I had like Snoop performing. I had um, Britney Spears was there. Um, who else performed? Uh, somebody else performed. It didn't matter. Right. I'm waiting for this call. <laughs> well, I'm waiting on, on this call. I'm waiting on this call. Like, is Michael going to show up? So time is going by. I'm like, man, Michael ain't coming. Fuck. Next thing I get that call, and he's like, yeah, so Michael's in route. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, Michael Jackson is in route? So I tell Christian, oh, Michael's coming. He's like, oh my God, Vee, he's coming. Michael, Michael's coming. Michael, Michael. He's, going to, he's happy. I'm like, all right, cool. So then still, you know, until you see Michael, this is like, so I remember, like, yo, Michael's pulling up. And I was just like, yeah, all right. When trying I see cool. him, trying to be cool, but when <laughs> I see him, it was like, 
Oh my God. Because again, it takes me back to being a child right. and be being mesmerized by this soul that I never got to see in person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just always, you know, especially back then, celebrities were super unattainable. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now the chances of you seeing a celebrity back yeah. then was like, like seeing a fucking an alien. Right. You know what I mean? So when I saw him and then I got introduced to him, he had this energy. I feel like his energy would be what it would be like. And again, it's no disrespect. Like, I felt like what it was probably like back in the day to meet Jesus. Transcendent. Or, or what it's like to meet, you know, somebody like Gandhi or, you know what I mean? Like a Martin Luther King. Like, it's just that you knew they were special. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? His energy was so, he had like this glow. It was just like, I almost wanted to just mm-hmm. bow to it for real. It was crazy. I've never touched a person that had that frequency. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. It was this God-given energy. You know what I mean? So you got it done. So I got it done, and I got a hundred thousand for that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? Like yeah, I got a hundred G's. You going out? To the <laughs> oh my god. I'm a little more difficult. Than that. <laughs> so you got it done. You so did the Ed Hardy stuff, and yeah. like God's messenger. Let's. I mean, God's messenger. Thank you. <laughs> That's his Instagram. Instagram. By the way. Yeah, let's talk um, about your brand. Visit on Earth. Um, so being at Ed Hardy, Christian taught me a lot on the back end. So I learned about factories, fabrics, wash houses. But he would allow me to. I never had to sit at a desk with him because he knew that wasn't how it worked well. So mm-hmm. I would probably come into the office once a day, just talk to him, walk around, speak to everybody. I'm such a people person. And I love to make people feel good. So I would hug a lot of people. How you doing? But I would never sit at a desk because I like to go out and just bring shit to the table. Mm-hmm. Man. But in the midst of that, he would always tell me, like, come here, beef, come there, learn this, learn that. So through that process, my palate grew to be a designer. And when I left Ed Hardy, um, Kanye wanted to do his own brand called Kanye West. But in Paris, he wanted to do it, you know, in Paris. He wanted to do Paris Fashion Week. And he had hit me one day. Cause he, at this time, we were really close, like one of my best friends. So he's like, yo, T, man, I need you to leave Ed Hardy. Let's go to Paris and do a very high-end, ready-to-wear couture brand. I'm going to have Anna Wintour get us in Paris Fashion Week. And we're going to be set up, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, for sure, mm-hmm. let's do it. So I ended up, and at that time, Ed Hardy was going like this. Right, it was just oversaturated. Right. Murdered it. You did you know? what you could with the brand. It, yeah, we killed it. So then I ended up going to Paris with him, and that's when my palate really grew um, to really want to do a brand because you know you you're sitting in there and you have Anna Wintour over here, you have Corinne Rockfield over here who's the chief and editor of Vogue, and um, then you have uh, um, you have another young lady. Her name is Christine. She was the editor at Harper's Bazaar. So and then you have like Andre Tali there. And you have um, Ricardo Tichy from Givenchy. So we had all these like God, fashion gods right. around mm-hmm. us giving us information and teaching us and editing our, you know, our mood boards and telling us how to edit it down to like, this is what your brand is. So all this I'm learning. So I was out there for a couple of years with Ye doing that. And then I ended up starting my own brand called Venus and Mars. Right. So Venus and Mars is my first brand. Mm-hmm. And with that... When I created a brand, all I could think about was what is the purpose behind this mm-hmm. brand? You know, what am I creating a brand? If I didn't want to just create a brand to create a brand, I wanted to have a message with it. 
So the only thing I can think of is just my, my upbringing, you know what I mean? My circumstances and, you know, just lack of self-love, lack of self-worth type of thing. And so with Venus and Mars, I wanted to have, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus type of thing. And to not see gender or not to separate, but to unify. So when I created that brand, it was all about unity, you know, like, because for me, especially with women, women are so, like, belittled in so many ways. Objectified. Objectified, belittled, just mm-hmm. looked down on, you know what I mean? As if, like, they should stand behind instead of aside mm-hmm. type of thing. So when I created that brand, it was all about, like, not seeing the gender of a person, but the soul of a person. And when I did the photo shoot, like, the guy and the girl would have somewhat of a mask on. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really identify, but it would be more about the brand and not, like, oh, she's pretty or she's yeah. he's a try. It's just about focus on the brand. Mm-hmm. And then, so, Venus and Mars, I, I launched, and it did well. Like, I was product placed on everybody, and then I got a cease and desist on that because some lady had Venus swimwear. Mm-hmm. And when you have names that's similar, people right. can, you know, they can fight you on that. So, um... My lawyer had advised me to shut the brand down until we figured out whether I could win the rights to use the name or not. And if I continued to sell any money I made after that cease and desist, I would have to fork over. So I shut the brand down. And then at that time, that was another moment where I was just like, damn, what am I going to do? You know, because um, I had left working with Kanye because I wanted to be my own boss. Because mm-hmm. I'm so much of a leader and I wanted to have my own movement. And then I came up with Visit on Earth. And I had a friend who had uh, somebody that wanted to help her invest in things. And she believed in me. And she brought this investor to the table. And he invested in Visit on Earth as a silent partner. And Visit on Earth to me was the evolution of what VXM would would have been. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it was just me growing, especially with my message. So it grew to being, you know, not seeing the difference in others, which is still there, but just knowing that we are visitors on this planet because you're going to die one day. So you're definitely a visitor on this planet. You know what I mean? And to me, the way I'm trying to spread this message is, you know, we're, we're all here as visitors. We're all God's children. We're all here to rehabilitate the planet. Because in my eyes, spirits live on. We're just in the flesh. Right. You know, so while we're here in the flesh, we're supposed to save this planet. This planet is hurting. And we're programmed to destroy this planet. We're not programmed to save this planet. Right. So, but that's not why God has us here. God has us here to actually save the planet. And in order to save the planet, we have to save each other. You know, I mean, I have to save myself first. I have to love myself, know myself, and then spread my message to you and you and we go out and we all message to each other. Paying it forward. And since you didn't grow up religious or like Not really spiritual or anything, when do you feel that you had this like turning point or this belief system that, that you just started believing in? Like when did that happen and why? And Because you um, obviously believe in more, you know? Just yeah, like, I never grew up religious. My dad would quote things in the Bible. But my dad was never like, let's go to church, be right. Christian, be this. You know. And plus, coming from the South, it was more like um, he wasn't Christian. He was Baptist type of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? But he never preached that. But he would preach Bible stuff to me. And it was always a Bible in the house. And I would read the Bible here and there. But I think my spirituality came 
in you know in the midst of the abuse mm-hmm. because in the midst of that I tried to commit suicide numerous times and I think me not succeeding or really not wanting to because if you really want to kill yeah. yourself you're going to you kill will. yourself right. so you know back then I'm thinking I really wanted to kill myself but really what I was doing was, was crying for help right, right. Um, but in the midst of that and then again with the reprogramming part that's and me having that force come over me was when the I think the spirituality came in because the only person I had to turn to was me mm-hmm. and when you when you're spiritual spiritual to me is knowledge itself right right so you know that's mm-hmm. and again in those moments I didn't think of these things I was just doing it just to save myself mm-hmm. you know like just wanting more for myself but not knowing where I'm gonna go how I'm gonna do it but just wanting and um, so I think that's where the spirituality started and then that palette just grew it just grew and grew and grew to the point where I realized like you felt compelled to like bring I, this message I, I felt like God crucified me as a child for a reason you know what I mean like if I could go through that abuse from someone that's supposed to love me that brought helped bring me in this planet right and this person is telling me I ain't shit and I ain't going to be shit, but dead or in jail, you black, you ugly. If I can survive that and become something successful, which is the percentage is very low, mm-hmm. you know, and being dirt poor, you know, food stamps and all that. And I'm the kid that had to, in high school, go to the corner Vons grocery store that all my neighborhood friends went to. And I had to be in line with food stamps and they got real money. Like all that shit to survive all that and become something successful. And be able I, to forgive and love and for, despite and, of that. In spite of that, I knew that I had to give back with a message. You know what I mean? So it was just, I don't know, it was just, that was just my calling. You know what I mean? That's just the only way I could define it. Like that's what I was meant to do. I see God's messenger tattooed on your neck. Yeah. And that's your Instagram. Yeah, and I had this, way before, the, I had this way before the Instagram. Oh, you did? Way okay. before. And then you decided to start an Instagram, and that name was available. I got on Instagram late, like two years late, and God's Messenger was there. That's crazy. And I couldn't believe that, that it was there. Yeah, and people right. asked me, like, oh, how'd you get that name? Like, and I was just like, <laughs> I'm surprised. Nobody else wanted it. Because think about it. You can go on Instagram. There's not a name. You can, not even your we own know. name. Your right. own we name know. ain't even there. Right. Real talk. <laughs> like, I know. So, um, yeah, I... Again, that to me is just a sign. a sign. And you know, I tell people, people are like, oh, why do you think you're God's messenger? And I, I'm like, I'm not God's messenger. I'm one of God's messengers. Mm-hmm. We're all God's right. messengers. You know, I just chose that name, you know what I mean? Because I'm recognizing what I am. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a blessing to get that. And, you know, with this tattoo, it this was like, um, when I first got my tattoos, it was like a butterfly, a caterpillar to a butterfly effect. So I got seven tattoos because... Seven is the number of completion, right? So I got, my first tattoo was God. It goes God, and it's in Chinese, Japanese, Japanese. Then it was just, you know, regular English language. But it was God's warrior. Being God's warrior, this one said honor. I'm honoring God. By honoring God, I become reborn. So reborn over here is three slavery chains. And in the middle, it's broken, and it says reborn from the slavery state of mind. Mm-hmm. Meaning the slavery state of mind is not using or saying someone else is holding me back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the slavery state of mind. The white man. This white. I don't believe in that. There's no man holding me back. The only person stopping me is me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of my favorite 
influencers would say, like, you can lock me up and you can encage my body, but you can't encage my mind. Right. You know what I mean? So, so being God's warrior and honoring God, by honoring God, I become reborn. By becoming reborn, I become God's messenger. And my message to the world is love. So that was my tattoos that I first mm -hmm. got because I was just a mess. And I wanted it to be in Chinese because I love the culture so much from being like loving Bruce Lee and you know, and I wanted it to be a conversation piece. Like, if somebody asks what that is, then mm -hmm. it leads to the rest of it. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It's a great message mm -hmm. behind the brand. Yeah. I love it. It is a great message. And Visitor on Earth, you can find where? Barney's. Oh, you can. Yeah. Where's my, where's my merch? Word. Where's that shit at? <laughs> 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 I, I'm telling you, I had sent it. <laughs> and they said they left it at the door. Uh -huh. so if you get yeah, it, you I... gotta talk to your neighbors. You might see them fresh one day and know <laughs> that was your shit. <laughs> so, do you feel, in terms of reprogramming, mm -hmm. are you still reprogramming? Do you feel like you've fully healed <clears throat> from your upbringing? Do you find that That's sometimes aggression pops up That's a great in your question. life? Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly, you know me. So we've had heated conversations, you know what I mean? Because you're a strong woman and you have a backbone and I'm a strong man and I can, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm 100 with myself because I'm constantly reprogramming myself. Every day I check myself when I do something wrong, say something wrong, right. because I want to be the best soul I can be before I leave this planet. So yeah, I'm still at war with myself in certain ways, you know, I'm still at war with myself. So I have moments where I can be angry but I don't get it to the point where I really want to disrespect somebody. It's different now. Back then, I used to disrespect people and want to hurt them. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm upset, I just get more passionate about what I'm saying because I feel like a lot of times when I speak, I know what I'm speaking about. Because I'm never a person that wants to... I would never argue with somebody on something I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I know, if I have knowledge of something and I'm strong behind my beliefs, I'm a strong, have a strong, I'm going to fight you about it. In the sense of my tone will get more aggressive. An argument. It's an argument. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you'll know if I'm passionate about it because my tone is strong, which I get from my father. You know, mm -hmm. he has that voice. You know, he used to have that voice. He's like, Tracy. And you'd be like, <laughs> you know, that's that shit that mm -hmm. I'm just like, ugh. So I have that in me. But um, yeah, I'm steady reprogramming myself. I want to be. I want to be that spirit. Do you feel it's more of a journey than an endpoint? I mean, there's no endpoint. Yeah, there's never. never. It's a continuous it's journey. Continuous. For sure. And listen, when I when I perish, it's still continuing because mm -hmm. I believe that you know we we travel planets, so the spiritual spirituality stays, the soul stays, the flesh sheds. But when you leave that flesh, I'm going on to another planet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here to put in my work. And whatever that is, I'm going to take over to the next planet. And wherever I stop that, that's where I'm going to continue over there and grow from there. You know what I mean? That That's just what I believe. Mm -hmm. Have you seen The OA on Netflix? No, but I want to see it. You got to watch that. Yeah, You're going to like that. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I started it, and then I paused it, and then I didn't go back to it. I had to leave. Have you finished it? I, yeah, I binged. Like, oh. I was going to say, days. that could be the next the next really show great. to watch together. I know. We did, we did <laughs> I've already a, seen it. We did a Scientology viewing party oh once. <laughs> it took us four hours to watch an hour and a half long. Was Seriously. it an hour and a half yeah, long? Yeah, yeah. We kept pausing and then talking. talking. Yeah. 
and that's what you know it's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. we're sharpening our tools. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I think the programming. And can I speak on the programming? Yes. Um, for me, and I really want to look deep into this camera because this is so important to me that the world needs to understand that we have to reprogram ourselves. And when I say reprogram, I really mean like. I have this. I have it broken down in the sense of when you're a child, right? When you're a child, you're 100% pure, right? And then every second, minute, day, week, hour, month, year, you know, you, 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 you're conditioned. So if you're my parents and I'm a child and you have hang-ups on society, you don't like a certain race or you don't like a certain religion, then you have these anger issues because you were abused or whatever, that's, that comes into me. Your thought process becomes my thought process. Right. Yours as well. Your attitude becomes my attitude. Your outlook becomes mine. So every second, minute, hour, day, week, month, year, I'm losing my purity. When I walk outside the house, the teacher, my mm -hmm. friends, my friends teaching from their parents, the school bus driver, the liquor store corner, corner, corner liquor store owner, but all that is that village it takes a village to raise a child mm -hmm. that's programming whatever tv shows i'm allowed to watch whatever music i listen to all this programs us <clears throat> and the way the world is set up it's set up to to strip us of our purity you know as a child when you play you don't see color you play with any kid you don't care that they're dark or fat or skinny, whatever you want to call We don't care. We just want to play. We just want to be playful. We want to live in our imagination and have yeah. fun. And we don't care about none of that. But through the programming of the people that created this, this matrix that we live in, they want to strip us of that. And they do it masterfully by the things they allow to be pumped out. So when you get to a certain, you know, I was always taught, in the midst of all those beatings, my dad would hit me with jewels. And one of the jewels I was taught is like, once you have knowledge of something, you're held accountable. Mm -hmm. So God never holds you accountable for things you don't know. But once you have knowledge of something, then you have a duty to do right by it. So to me, that's when the reprogramming is supposed to start. But uh, honestly, in my lifetime, I don't know anybody that speaks that way. Now, Martin Luther King, to me, is the greatest... He's the greatest soul I've seen try to unite the world. But he does it in a way where it's just unite. And I'm not diminishing anything because he's Martin Luther King. Like, I love Martin Luther King. He's one of my idols. But for me now, in this day and time, there is no leaders. And there's no one talking about how we should reprogram ourselves. Because, honestly, we're programming ourselves. If, if, if I go home and I listen to Tupac all day, Whatever he's spitting and kicking in his language, it's going to become mine at some point. Part of it is going to, it's programming. So no one's telling us how to reprogram ourselves. Reprogram ourselves to not see the skin tone of a person, not to see the gender of a person, not to see differences, but to see beauty in this person, to see um, the soul of a person. These are the things that I'm reprogramming myself with daily. I want to be a spirit walking around that everybody I touch before I leave, I inspire them. I make them want to be a better person, which makes me continue to be a better person.
So I'm I'm on a daily journey to reprogram myself as much as possible. You know what I mean? Like I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black, Asian, Spanish. I don't care about that. I care if your soul is right. You know what I mean? And to me, that's the reprogramming we have to do. We have to be mindful of the people we hang around. We have to be mindful of the, the shows we watch, the music we take in. All this stuff can hold us down or catapult us into greatness. But nobody with a platform is speaking this way. And that bothers me. Mm-hmm. That there's no leader today with that type of language. Because as we evolve, the conversation has to evolve. The, the, you know, the words that we choose to use have to change. And to me, program, reprogram, to me, is the, is the word that needs to be pumped because people need to realize we are programmed. Mm-hmm. And if you think about TV shows back in the day, like in the 80s and 90s, it used to say program network. They don't use that word anymore. Mm-hmm. They took the program part out. Now it's just network TV. But it used to be programmed because they knew we were being programmed. And nobody's pumping You know that. what's so funny? After I watched The OA, there was like a little clip that came up from the news. And mm-hmm. they were talking about the show. And the lady said, oh, this new program. And I thought of you. Mm-hmm. Because I, they don't, don't use that term. They don't use it that much anymore. Yeah, right. but when I heard it, I was like, whoa. I haven't heard this term right. in a while. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So, listen, we never know what God has in store for which is one of the beautiful things about life is you don't know what tomorrow brings but I pray that I pray that something in my life allows me to have a huge audience to where I could actually speak on reprogramming and that's that's what you feel yeah I mean that's what you're you're trying to do with your brand is that's like you're I'm, using it as a catapult. I'm using that as a platform. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely get a platform. Your word out. But I, I pray it gets me to a level where I can reach millions. Well, and, yeah, stepping stones. Yeah, and, sure. and 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 I'm gonna tell you this: I'm willing, and and I say this all the time to alone with myself, and to, when I talk to God or the Creator, or whatever you want to call Source. it, the higher being, that I would give up my life for it, like seriously, mm-hmm. because. There's times when I'll be at home, and I'm not ashamed to say, like, I'll be home and I'll watch something and I'll cry, like, yo, if I die today, will people mourn me like that? Will people come out to celebrate me like that? Mm-hmm. Have I touched enough people? If, I, if I'm not doing that, then I've done nothing with my life. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel. To date, I feel like I've done nothing with my life. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the Von Dutch, the Ed Hardy. None of that means nothing to me. It's cool. But that's not. That's why I don't like to talk about myself much because I don't feel like I've done anything yet. You know what I mean? And it's a journey, so it's not fair. No, for to sure, it's a journey. But you just but have more that you want. I to have do. more that I want to do, and tomorrow's not promised. Right. So for me, it's like if I die today, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And I use that to myself to to make me go harder. Of course. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like if I don't leave this planet with that type of impact, then I've wasted time on this planet Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that you know Mm -hmm. it's so important that I give back to this planet do you feel that because you do know so many influencers and people who are you know in music and do have platforms and do have a voice do you feel that you 
are doing what you can in terms of affecting or inspiring them to use their platforms right now or finding a way to you know unify that and maybe create a larger voice um i mean you never really know if you you know what i mean because you know certain people that have platforms that's not their calling mm-hmm. and you don't want to be a preacher you don't want to force mm-hmm. your train of thought on people i now there's not a person that has a platform that i'm close with which is a lot of people that don't that do not know what I feel. They mm-hmm. all they all hear this talk. Mm-hmm. I would say Kanye is probably the one I give it to the most. I speak with him the most about it because he has the biggest influence on the youth. Mm-hmm. And that's who I want to talk to because they're the future. Right. So me and him talk a lot about it. But, you know, he's finding his way right. in that journey. You know what I mean? So... But he knows every inch of my thought process. You know what I mean? And for me, it's cool. If if I could, if Kanye became this Martin Luther King type figure at some point where, you know, because he's still, we're all still growing. If he becomes that and I'm just a person behind him giving my information and nobody knows I'm doing it, but what he's doing is affecting the world, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. You just because want I'm, it to I'm, be out there. I just yeah. want it to be out there. I don't want it to be about, hey, no tea meals. I, want, I don't care about celebrities. But if I become something of a figure, it's only for that. I don't need nothing from it. I'm, I'm good. I, I love myself enough. And I'm going to continue to love myself more. You know what I mean? Because I can still love myself more. Mm-hmm. But I just want to play a part in seeing this planet be better. I want to see kids love themselves. I want to see you know, people not judge others and help others. And I want people to realize when people hurt you, they're not hurting you because they really want to hurt you. They're hurting you because... They're hurting hurt. Exactly. They're crying for help. You know what I mean? So I just want that. that that's the most important thing to me until I leave this, this shell I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Beautiful. And then to me, that's being a visitor on Earth. Beautiful. So many gems. Thank you. Because <laughs> 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 he said what he wanted to say. He's like, I'm about to drop gems on y'all. You did it. Thank you. I love y'all. Thank y'all for having me. I didn't tell my alien story because I felt like that was too much. <laughs> I was going to tell it. I was going to tell my alien story. How, is, it, is it a long story? It's yeah. About, no, it's about, <laughs> it's about five minutes. But I've never told y'all that story. No, let's hear it. Let's hear it real quick. Well, you ain't got to keep it. Huh? You ain't got to put it out. You can just have it. Don't right. tell me real quick. Huh? Just well, this is live. No, it's not. No, yeah, it is. We're streaming live right now. Um, yeah. Oh shit. And then this saves, and then we will post it to, <laughs> and we'll post it to the public later. Surprise! Yeah. I thought you were saying like you're gonna give it to me later, like you was gonna edit it, and I was gonna see it, and it's gonna put it out. Like, oh, it's live. It's live, live. It's live. Ah, I, I mean, I don't know, know how now. many eyes are on it right now, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't attract that many eyes. <laughs> Probably like two people mm-hmm. watching because it's me. Mm-hmm. No. Um. um but, are you gonna tell the alien story or not? I tell it. All right. Let's see. <laughs> but people gonna think I'm crazy. So I mean, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> at this point, they probably who love me. It? People would think I'm crazy. No, who oh, is the crazy? crazy? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, Get hot in here. So, <laughs> lights. It's hot. Um. So, when I was a kid, when I was seven, I would say right in Chicago. Um. We used to go to this lake, and in the lake, in the woods, it'd be out in the woods. So out in the woods, 
there would be like this shed you would go to to use the bathroom. So it would be like a hole in the ground and you would piss and shit and whatever. But it was a shed out in the woods, right? So I remember one time, I was seven, I went out there and it was deep in the woods. And I went out there and I opened the door. Yo, this shit stayed vivid. No, real talk, listen. This stayed vivid in my mind until, I mean, up until now, but so I, I, until then, when I saw it, until, up until, what's the movie that just came out? Um, Arrival? Mm. I thought I might have been crazy. Mm. So, all this time. No, I, I knew, <laughs> I knew what I saw, but I'm like, yo, what the? Anyway, so at the age of seven, I opened the shed, there was three creatures in there. But the creatures didn't look like what aliens look like. But you know what they say aliens look like? It almost looks right. like this big head with these big eyes, skinny. A programmed version. Programmed version. What they want us to see. Uh-huh. But they were long. They had long, skinny legs. And they had a round head. So I was like, I remember seeing that. And I remember blacking out and then not remembering nothing after that. Like, I don't know how I got away or what. Right? Fast forward maybe about... Six months later, I was standing in the streets, and I got hit by a car that was going like 70 miles an hour. What? 70 miles an hour. Hit me, knocked me. They said like 100 feet in the air. You know, people exactly. So maybe 60 feet. But I was flying, landed on the ground. I was in the street, landed on the sidewalk, on the grass. Boom. Walked up. No injuries, nothing. They used to call me Superboy. They was like, there was no way you survived that. And walked away. Boom. Fast forward. A couple years later, I used to have this black circle in my thigh, right? And I was always like, man, how did I get this? Like, what? You know, when you, you look at yourself, you analyzing yourself. Yeah. I'm like, why is this motherfucker here? And it was no pain. I didn't feel nothing. But something just made me go like this, fucking with it. I used to always do that. Nothing. One day, I did it again. And something, y'all ever seen RoboCop? How the guy was liquid and then he became solid? Like, when he would... <laughs> I got you. So so I did this and this long it just came out liquid like this and then it turned solid. And then I was just like, now if you got something in you this long, you're gonna feel that in your leg. That's what she said. So I'm like <laughs> so I'm like, but I didn't feel it come out and I never felt it in there. So as I started to learn stuff about supernatural and you know all this stuff, I was like, damn, I think I was I think I was chipped. I think I like I had I had something like planted inside of me because I used to always have these. I used to always be sleep and felt like I was being worked on. Like I always felt like these something was always visiting me. Mm-hmm. So when I had that, I felt like damn, I was like chipped. Like these motherfuckers was pro. Because I used to always say as a kid, like I couldn't control myself. Like I used to get angry at things. I used to always feel like somebody was controlling my mind. I swear to God, I used to always say this. Right, boom. Fast forward, nothing else happened, right? But then I would still have those visits every now and then from junior high school to high school, right? And then I used to always think back, like, man, what did I really fucking see? I never forgot this. I never, I, I can describe them to attack a draw. Then after a while, it's just like, I was so in tune with the supernatural, with aliens. It was just something that was in my soul. I was always in tune with it. I always cared about it. I always wanted to know. I always knew that there was aliens walking among I didn't give a fuck if anybody spoke about it I believed it in my soul Mm -hmm. then motherfucking arrival came out and when I tell y'all I cried in the movie theater real shit real men cry I literally cried not because it confirmed 
Think about every alien movie that's ever come out. Mm-hmm. They all they either look like the movie Alien where they look like some type of dinosaur right, head right, right. and look, or they look like this long alien like ET type of thing or a big head with I big seen eyes. Arrival, do they look the way you exactly. remember? Exactly. No really? movie has ever portrayed so an alien creepy. to look like that. How did you and feel when you saw it on the screen? It confirmed it to me. I was like, oh shit, they find because the way I believe is that the truth always comes to light. And the overseers and of this world, especially with TV and film, it's like a projection. It's a projection. What's really what's going to come? On. So they, yeah. they they warm. They get you programmed they to where you see it enough that then when it happens, you're it's somewhat like, oh. comfortable, right? right. Yeah. But this is the first time they showed it like what I saw. Right. I'm talking about exactly what I saw as a kid, and I said, "Fucking son of a bitch!" They're telling the truth. And the way that they communicate, you have to. You haven't seen it. No, I've never seen, seen it. it. Oh, y'all I'm have so to see it. It's so. Gotta add that to the list. It's like, have you? Did, I can't talk to you. Yeah. You can talk to him. Have you seen a lot of them? <laughs> you haven't seen it. Okay. Can I talk to him? Does he exist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's the guy behind the scenes that's controlling everything. So Programming. He's the programmer. Yes. So. When I tell you, it solidified, it, it made everything make sense to me, and it solidified that what I saw as a kid was what I saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because no fucking alien movie looked like this, and no alien movie was told this way. I've seen them all. Mm-hmm. None of them were told this way. The way they communicate with us, it's incredible. This, I mean, and, and if you look at the reviews on it, like it's so celebrated because you can tell. Yeah, this is the way it Feels really. Authentic. It's super authentic. The mm-hmm. way it commu- the, the way we communicate with them, and the way they communicate with us, and the way they looked was exactly like what I saw. That's wild. I'm talking about, and I cried in the movie theater because I was like, "Oh my god, I really saw them." Yeah. As a kid, uh, like really, it was, yo, for You're real. on the right path. There you go. Confirmation. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? All right. If you have a message to the youth, kids growing up wanting to get into fashion, wanting to do this, what you know, whatever it may be, what's your message? A little ending message. Or advice or piece of advice. My piece of advice is no matter what anybody says to you, no matter what roads seem like blockage, no matter what, believe in yourself. Don't let nobody tell you you can't be what you want to be. Get out your own way. Because the biggest war in life is you versus you. Mm. So get out your own way. Because God's way of you becoming the best you is a clear path. That's God's way. God never puts blockage in your way. Only we do. So just know that you're divine. You're meant to be something special to yourself and to the world. And get out your own way. Because there's nothing you can't do. You are a divine spirit. You can do anything you want if you believe in you. So that's my advice. Believe in you and don't let anybody keep you off track. And be very, very, very conscious of who you surround yourself with. Show me your three closest friends and I'll show you your future. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. This is so nice. Yeah? Yeah. What'd you think? I loved it. (laughs) <laughs> I did. Do you feel like you got out stuff that you've never really shared before? I definitely told you I sold some jewels. Yeah. 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 Def- and when I say jewels, I don't mean like, I mean like about myself. That, right. Yeah. It was therapeutic. Good. I'm happy you felt that way. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. Cool. Which one's your room? 
I'll show you around a little bit. Yeah. Therapy session. <laughs> thank you, darling. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much to Tracy, God's Messenger on Instagram. You can find Visitor on Earth in Barney's and... Barney's in L.A. You can find it at um, um, H. Lorenzo in L.A. Um, I'm in Tokyo. I'm in Japan. I'm in... You popping. Um, I'm in a lot of places. <laughs> I don't even know all the stores because I try not to deal with all the back end, but I'm in a lot of stores. And I'm growing. It's just my first year, but it's been a blessing. Awesome. Yep. You guys know the message. You know what it is. So go out and get that. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.